Support for OPB comes from our members and from our sponsors, like Mike Rosenberg from Columbia Credit Union. Mike says they trust what they see and hear on OPB, and that aligns with Columbia Credit Union's brand. From the Gert Boyle studio at OPB, this is Think Out Loud. I'm Dave Miller. Brooke Jackson-Glidden joins us now. She is the award-winning editor of Eater Portland, which just released its Eater Awards for 2023, including Best New Restaurant, Bar, Pop-Up, and Food Cart. Brooke, welcome. Hi, so happy to be here. Let's start with Xiao Ye, your restaurant, new restaurant of the year. There's a sign out front that I just saw the other day saying, first generation American food. What does that mean? Yeah, I, I love this concept. So the owners there, um, Lewis and Jolene, they have been, you know, growing up in California. They've cooked um, or served around the country. And their experience as first generation Americans um, really dramatically impacts sort of their perspective on food. And I, I think that they felt as, you know, folks in the industry that there wasn't something that really represented a little bit of that concept of, you know, holding sort of these, you know, Asian American culinary traditions, but also like growing up in suburban California and and sort of that cross section of like chain restaurants and sort of like family traditions and, and um, you know, that that I, I I talk about how it's not necessarily like a global pantry, which I think is a term that people use a lot. Where it's just we're going to pull from everywhere. This is a little bit more intentional. There's there are like traditional like stories or um, personal relationships to specific dishes that inspire a lot of sort of the the combinations of flavors and dishes that they develop. So the idea is kind of being eclectic with a real sort of sense of story or, or context for mm. each dish. What are some of the standout standout dishes for you? I love this place so much. Um, so their menus change pretty frequently. There are a few things that they have yet to remove, hopefully. That's still true. <laughs> I'll be sad if they're gone. Um, they have these masa madeleines there. Um, and they're using like a combination of mochica flour and masa for those. So it has this really lovely springiness, but also sort of chew. Um, the so idea corn, corn and rice flour. Corn and rice flour. That's right. Right. So basically, what that does, it's sort of a play on like jalapeno cornbread or or the corn pudding. You might get like a Ruth's Chris, and then also just like a Madeleine. Um, and I think the flavor is really special. The there's like a little jalapeno powder on the outside. It's really nice. And then there's this other dish that's called Jolene's favorite noodle, that is a play on a dish that. Lewis would make for Jolene after service when they were both living in D.C., basically using the condiments in their fridge. It has this combination of like tamari and, and sesame paste. Um, I believe lagamas in there, too. So it's like a little spicy and a little creamy. And they use this alkaline spaghetti, which sort of lands between like a traditional spaghetti and like a springier noodle. It's so good. I think about it all the time. I tried to make it at home and it was just awful. <laughs> so I just have to go back for it. Is there something about this restaurant that you think says something broader about Portland's food scene right now? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, something that I really love about, you know, beyond this broader story, and this is a story we've talked about in my time at Eater, um, just sort of emerging in a lot of different restaurants, is this broader understanding of, of what we think of as, you know, Asian American food, which is such a broad concept. I, and so I, you put that in quotes just now that yeah, folks I did. couldn't see. Right. Because, you know, you have so many different food cultures um, within 
you know, broader Asia as a continent. And then you you put that into a specific diaspora or or community in, in the United States. And there's just going to be so many different influences and, and shifts in that. And a lot of Asian American chefs in the Portland area have communicated that, you know, there is this desire to open, say, a Vietnamese restaurant and this sort of discomfort with the fact that they're not, you know, what folks ate growing up isn't necessarily congruent with the dishes you would serve in a Vietnamese restaurant. So what does it mean for me to cook my food when there's this expectation, this completely unfair expectation of like what authenticity is, right? I think that um, Lewis and Jolene are furthering that conversation to a certain extent where they're saying like, why should I necessarily be expected to cook within this broader category when there are so many different influences that come into my daily experience eating and cooking. Um, so, you know, they walk this interesting line between, again, talking about context, talking about like personal story as it relates to food, but also letting themselves use the full spectrum of who they are as, as chefs and, and um, restaurant workers um, to make food that feels really fun and true to them. Hmm. Um, really, really special place. Let's turn to your bar of the year. What's the the vibe at Houston Blacklight? <sighs> Again, this is a place I just adore. Um, the Houston Blacklight is the third project from um, Tom and Mariah Pisha Duffley, who are people I've been following since I lived on the East Coast. Um, we both moved here kind of oddly at the same time. Um, I think that the first two restaurants there are, you know, Gato Gato and Oma's Hideaway, again, have the same spirit that you'll find at the Houston Blacklight, which is very sort of goofy, um, really relaxed, fun, um, just sort of boisterous in the special way. Um, but I think that what is special to me about the Houston Blacklight is it feels like it's really more Mariah's place. Um, they, everything is both of them, you know, uh, as a couple, um, every restaurant that they own. But this bar is like, it really speaks to her. It's got like these this sort of Blacklight vibe. It's a reference, right, to um, uh, the Houston Blacklight um, producing Blacklight posters. So it, it has that kind of element. There are like um, scantily clad, anim- like combination animal humans on the walls. Um, and it's it's just has that, I think that, real like nonchalance, but also sort of goofiness that I think is really true to, to Portland's broader, um, I don't know, aesthetic or, or, or atmosphere. Do you have a go-to order there? Yes. So I, I love a shrimp cocktail. Like I'm, I'm kind of uh, old school in that way, I guess. Um, and they make such a fun one. They use uh, sambal terasi in that, um, which just gives it a tiny little like fermented kind of funk to it uh, in their cocktail sauce. It's really special. The shrimp are great. Um, and I love to go there and get that. And they make a really it's it's you know that place it makes such wild and and sort of fun drinks they do this mala wash on um or a maputofu wash i believe on a tequila drink you know you can go really fun there and wild there i just love their martini so i'll get like shrimp cocktail and a martini which feels really simple it feels kind of almost odd for that particular couple's work to get something that simple but they they just really nail it and it's just super comforting and fun one of the categories for yeah. eaters awards this year is best chef residency or pop-up mm-hmm. which i don't i'm not sure that it would have been or, or was a category yeah. say a decade ago for sure for people who aren't familiar with pop-ups how do they work how do you find out about them how do they work how long are they supposed to be yeah so the <laughs> there is not a clean answer to any of those questions i think that the the general idea here is that this is a chef that doesn't have a standing permanent restaurant space that is going to fa- use someone else's space to sell food, typically, or, or, or serve drinks. Um, this has become kind of a, a, f- a huge 
um, section of our food scene, and it's where a lot of chefs start out. And and I think that it it just doesn't feel complete to talk about Portland food without talking about pop-ups. Um, I think that some are like one day, some are full residency, so they kind of move into a restaurant space and are there for a long time. Um, the reason we included Astral is because it kind of lands between the two. It's actually on Eater's national best new restaurant list this year, um, but it's not quite a restaurant. It's not quite a pop-up. They are serving the food within this brewery um, indefinitely, right? Like it's their space, but they're kind of popping up within it. It's They've had this pop-up going since about 2017. Um, and it's a really special place, but to call it like their restaurant doesn't feel quite right. Is this about economic precarity? Is this about right. expediency? Is this about, you know, a chef's desire? I mean, what's behind this? Yeah, all of the above. I think, you know, when we talk about Portland food and what was interesting about it, even like when we talk about the period when we got a lot of national attention for food, right? Um, there was this talk- Back when the New York Times loved us. Right, <laughs> right. Back seems like a day. very different time. Oh, uh, eons ago. Yeah. Um, I think that came from this idea of like a lower barrier of entry into, you know, serving food in, in, in Portland. Um, we talked a lot about food carts then. Yeah. Food carts are now pretty expensive to open and, and operate. So it takes a lot less- to operate a pop-up, you essentially just have to pay a few sort of licensing fees sometimes. I think like it depends on what you're doing. Um, and some places ask for like a percentage um, to to use their space for a day. But somebody has already paid for the build-out. Right. The so kitchen's there. Right. And in many cases, it's just one or two people, right? You're not even paying a, a huge service staff. It's, it's kind of a chef doing their thing for a day. So just the overhead is so, so low. You're really kind of just, you have food costs. Um, at certain places, like um, the Dame Collective, you know, I think they primarily just take out um, you know, like beverage sales, right? And so the, the chefs get to sort of keep that food food sale. Um, so it's just such a low barrier of entry. It allows people to be a lot more creative and take more risks. So, you know, it it's appealing for a lot of people. Some people have like left restaurants and pursued these full time because it just feels like it allows them to do what they really want to do without all of those sort of financial constraints. Who is Luna Contreras and why is she eaters? Eater PX's Chef of the Year. Uh, Luna is such a gem. Um, yeah, so Luna is a chef in the Portland area. She is known for Cello, which is her pop-up um, within sort of that same Dame Collective. Um, she has worked in many different restaurants um, along the West Coast, um, but as you know, her her work recently has garnered a lot of attention in Portland, not only because it's just she cooks spectacular food, you know, um, this this again, she's sort of pulling from her family history. Um, her grandmother, I believe, had a restaurant in like Guadalajara, um, her her professional culinary experience, you know, um, lots of like really produce heavy Mexican dishes that have a lot of different components, um, really, really hyper seasonal. Um, she's also a uh, She's a trans chef, and she is an incredibly vocal um, advocate talking about issues that specifically face trans restaurant workers um, and the trans community at large. Um, so she has this really interesting political voice. Um, she's a, a really talented chef, um, and she's also just so like authentically goofy. I think she she has such a fun personality. She's so um, entirely herself. Um, she was on a Netflix show that is escaping me. I believe it's called Snack versus Chef. And it's just such a, a, a great portrait of her because she just um, is like dancing around and has this sort of like um, 
silliness tour that is is so special to encounter. All right, I'm going to try a lightning round for the last yes. minute and a half. What's a trend you're tired of? You're ready to say goodbye to in 2023? Please stop opening pizza places. Okay, no more pizza <laughs> no more for pizza. Brooke. What's a, something you're excited about for 2024? Um, I want to say La Leñadora. It's a restaurant from Adan Fausto that's going to be opening. Um, again, sort of that large, large format stuff. And the Love Shack uh, is a bar uh, opening from the G Love team. Looks really, really fun. Did you have a personal runner-up for new restaurant of the year? Yeah, I really loved Larange. It's it's from Joel Stocks um, and the folks behind um, um, Le Cave. Just so, so great. Really, really great place to take like family or friends. All right. What about outside of Portland? You're the editor of Eater Portland, but what's one of the tastiest things you ate outside of Portland in 2023? Um, I went to Thai Diner in New York um, when I was there last, and they did these uh, cabbage rolls that I believe were like sitting in Tom Ka that were super good and a scallop crudo with passion fruit. What about in Oregon? In Oregon, best meal I had. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I think I have to probably say my first meal at Xiaoye. Brooke Jackson-Glidden, thanks very much. Thank you. That's Brooke Jackson-Glidden, editor of Eater Portland. Coming up after a break, holly may be jolly, but it's also an invasive species that could outcompete and overtake native species in Northwest forests. That conversation is a minute away.